This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org slash UT. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. Tonight, I'll be reading from John chapter 19. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of a Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either either side, and Jesus between them. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Guys, welcome to RUF. My name is John Trapp. So glad to have you all here joining us tonight. And it's kind of weird doing this sermon on a Tuesday night. We're recording it, and the election is literally happening like right now. And we're all of us, the music team, have kind of been checking it and updating our phones. And I don't know what's going to happen, when, when what will have happened when you're watching this. But it's really good for, uh, for us to gather around God's word anytime, but especially at times like this when we can begin wondering, um, you know, is God at work and what's happening in our world? And tonight I want to um, consider this passage that Richard read for us. And as we think about it, I want you to ask yourself this question, where is my confidence? Where's my confidence? There's a lot of people who are asking that right now about the election and maybe who are even putting their hope and their confidence in the results of whatever happens with this election. But my question for you is this, where is your confidence? How do you know you're going to be okay? Let me pray for us and then we'll talk about this passage. Father, um, we ask now that you would be with us wherever we are. Lord, you know where we are in relation to you that some of us listening to this are far off from you or have no interest in you, that some of us feel cold towards you or tired of you. 
Father, we uh, we pray that what you say in your word would be true, that uh, Lord, that you are unchanging, uh, that you are faithful when we are unfaithful, and that you, uh, Lord Jesus, came to seek and save that which was lost. And so we pray now that you would seek after us. Uh, I pray for anyone who's here who doesn't yet know you, um, who's watching this. I pray that you would seek after them and help them to see you for who you really are. And I pray that you would reveal that to them and to all of us now in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so when uh, I was, I guess it was like five or six years ago. Yeah, it would have been six years ago because Chrissy, I, I know this because Chrissy Trapp was pregnant with Georgia, um, our third child. I was home for Christmas break, which many of y'all are probably looking forward to. And my brother and sister and I decided to go see a concert in, in North Alabama. I was visiting my hometown, Tuscumbia, Alabama. It's a small town. And the big city for us is Huntsville, Alabama, which is where Maria Caprio, our, uh, our girl intern, is from. And so we went to a show. Uh, it was a Jason Isbell concert. He was playing. He's kind of a local musician that a lot of people like. And he was home for Christmas, too, and was playing at like a little bar in downtown Huntsville. And so we drove there. We, uh, we watched the show, and we're driving back late at night. We got about an hour and 15-minute drive back on Highway 72, which is a two-lane road. And it's, you know, it's the middle of nowhere, Alabama, pitch black dark. And I'm riding in the front seat. I'm riding shotgun. My sister is sitting next to me driving, and my, her name's Sarah. And my brother, Will, is in the back seat. And I, was, I love YouTube videos and ridiculous, funny YouTube videos. And so a lot of times when I get together with my brother and sister, I just start showing them, oh, you've got to see this video. Like, y'all haven't seen. Have you guys seen the double rainbow guy? And they hadn't seen the double rainbow guy yet. I don't know if y'all have seen the double rainbow guy, but it's this hippie who goes out and sees two rainbows in the sky and he just kind of loses his mind at how cool these two rainbows are and so I'm showing them the double rainbow guy and then um, I was like oh there's an auto-tuned song of the double rainbow guy you've got to see the auto-tuned version of this and we're watching it and and there's this dude just like the song is ridiculous and as I'm holding the, the phone up so that they can watch it, my sister, who had been kind of glancing over, is looking at the phone. This is, side note, like, don't do this. I'm not endorsing this behavior. You should not do this in your car. And as she's looking over, I look up, and I see two headlights coming straight at our car. Now, remember, this is a two-lane highway. And this person, for some reason, in the middle of the night at 1.30 in the morning on Highway 72 on a random December evening is driving in the wrong side on the wrong side of the road and is coming straight at us. And they were probably about 50 yards away from our car. They were going to be upon us in about two and a half seconds. And I see the headlights and I shout out, Sarah, she looks up and she's got a choice. And by God's grace, she decides to change lanes she changed lanes. Bam! She changes to the left lane. And boom! This car, unflinching, flies by us, probably going 70 miles an hour, which was the speed limit and which was how fast we were going. Two and a half seconds. Sarah, change lanes. Boom! And we just sat there in silence. Well, the, the auto-tuned Double Rainbow song was still playing. Like, Double Rainbow all the way across the sky. Like, that song was playing. And we are in stunned silence 
for probably a minute. And then we began talking like, did that actually just happen? And, and, and I've thought about that. I think about that moment like every once in a while just in my life. Like what, what would have happened if my sister hadn't changed lanes? I thought about that like earlier this month. What would have happened? Like, well, uh, my children would have lost their father likely. Georgia would have never met me. Chrissy would have lost her husband. And I think about all of the things that would have happened to my family. And then I think about what would have happened to me? Am I confident I would be okay if I had died? Where would I have gone? What would have happened? And I want you to think about this question. Where is your confidence? Are you confident you would be okay? Where is your confidence? How do you know? This is the question for us, is it not? Because the reality is, this is a question all of us will face. I remember one of my seminary professors told us, sitting in class, you are to preach as a dying man to dying men and women. Because that's who we are. And that's what's, what all of us face. So where is your confidence? Tonight, all I want to do is look at two things that are said in this passage that Richard read for us. First off, the first quotation, which comes from the people in this story, crucify him. Now, the question that you must ask about the Christian faith is why should I have confidence in a man who died on a cross, a historical figure named Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross, why should I have confidence in him? The cross is, it's something that admittedly many of us are bored of in 21st century America. The cross is, is not um, gruesome to us. It's not offensive to us. We put it on our jewelry, we put it on our bumper stickers, we put it on tattoos on our arms. It's, it's just something, it's a, it's a symbol and an icon that we are very used to. But in the first century, the cross was offensive. The, seeing a cross was like seeing, would be like for us seeing a swastika or an ISIS flag. It was offensive, repulsive, something. Listen, listen to how one first century Roman politician named Cicero described the cross in a letter he wrote. This is from the Bible. This is just Cicero writing to someone. He says, the very mention of the cross should be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. The cross was impolite, indecent. It was not something that a good person would think about or look upon. And yet, this is exactly where Jesus goes. It's exactly where he is sent. Jesus, who did nothing wrong, all that we have seen throughout our study of him is he did things like heal cripple people, give sight to the blind, feed hungry people, raise Lazarus from the dead, and he also claimed to be God, and people hated him for it. And so they decided to kill him. And in Jesus, what we have is an innocent man, an innocent man who's in a minority culture, who's unjustly sentenced to capital punishment, 
who's hung upon a tree by an oppressive nation to appease the religiously powerful. He's whipped within an inch of his life, flogged, beaten, profusely bleeding, blindfolded, stripped naked in front of his mother, crucified in, uh, at the garbage dump outside the city between two thieves. This is what happens to Jesus. And we've grown accustomed to it. Like it's, like it's not offensive. Like it's not, there, there's not something absurd or scandalous about it. And yet the Bible is saying that this is what God did. Have you ever looked around at your life or maybe you're looking around life right now and asking, God, are you at work? What are you doing? God, are you at work? And here's what you need to see. That when God was at most, was most at work here in this passage, we can take solace that there's never been a time where it's looked more like he wasn't. Where it looked like he wasn't at work at all and that he didn't have any control over what was going on. And yet what the Bible is saying is that on the cross, Jesus was actively at work redeeming sinners, paying the price for sinners. He was at work redeeming the lost and saving us. Do you know that this means that you can relate to Jesus of Nazareth, who claims to be God, in a way that no, you can relate to no other religious figure? One World War I survivor put it this way. This is a poem written in consideration of all the other gods of the world religions and of Jesus of Nazareth. Listen to what this World War I survivor wrote. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. The only God who has wounds is Jesus, the God of the Bible. Christians have a God who enters into our suffering to save us. He can relate to our suffering, not from a distance, not as someone who's just kind of moving the puppet strings of the world as this sovereign overlord. He's entered in to our pain and our struggle. He's not some separate God from the Old Testament who then shows up in the New Testament and is this different person. The Old Testament God who brought about wrath and judgment for injustice is the same God who takes on flesh and pays for the injustices inside of us, for our sin. Think about this. During um, the beginnings of the beginning phases of World War II, when Jews were being corralled and put into internment camps, a man named Witold Pilecki, was, who was a Christian living in Poland, a man who had co-founded the secret Polish army, decided that he wanted to have some kind of resistance to whatever it was that was happening in Auschwitz. And so, on 1949, in, I'm sorry, in, on September 19th, 1940, Witold Pilecki went to his home, kissed his wife and his two children goodbye. And with, a fake, with fake papers, which gave him a Jewish identity, which he didn't actually have, he voluntarily walked into a German roundup in Warsaw, Poland. 
and went into Auschwitz. Here from his journal, what he, how he describes his arrival. Together, he writes, with a hundred other people, I at last reached the bathroom when we first arrived. Here we gave everything away into bags to which respective numbers were tied. Here our hair of our head and body were cut off and we were slightly sprinkled by cold water. I got a blow in my jaw with a heavy rod and I spat out two of my teeth. Bleeding began. From that moment, we became mere numbers. I wore the number 4,859. Vitold Pilecki spent three years in Auschwitz, serving, spying, assisting people in their escapes, sneaking in food. Eventually, eventually he plotted an escape for his own life when he realized that people were catching on to what he was doing. And he escaped. And today, today there's streets in Warsaw, Poland, named after Witold Pilecki. Witold Pilecki entered into others' suffering in order to save them. This is what Jesus did. And yet, here is what, like, that's an amazing story. And I think an, an incredible picture of, of some of what Jesus did, that he became like us. He entered into our pain and suffering. But what Jesus did is he entered, it would be like, to compare what Jesus did would be like him entering into Auschwitz to save the Nazis. Because Jesus went into this world not to save the innocent, because there are no innocent. Jesus came into this world. He took on flesh and entered into our suffering to save his enemies. And he didn't escape with his life like Vitold Pilecki did. Jesus saved his enemies at the cost of his death. As they mocked him, he cried out, Father, forgive them. To the ones who were crucifying him, who were banging the nails into his hands, who were gambling over the only clothes that he had on his body, who were stripping him naked and spitting on him. Jesus asks his father to forgive them. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, you have to know that you are a natural enemy of God. And I am too. And the gospel will never be sweet to you until you believe that. Until you believe the bad news about who you are and who I am, the good news of the gospel doesn't make any sense. But what's your confidence in? All of us are going to die. And on the day that you do, where will your confidence be? If we're honest with ourselves, for a lot of us, when we begin to think about that, we think, well, I'm a pretty nice person. I'm pretty good. I'm not like that judgmental about other people. But are we really? Are you always nice? Do you never gossip? You never have judgmental thoughts about somebody from your pledge class who's annoying to you or that girl who was in rush that you really didn't want to talk about and you kind of joked about afterwards. You never judge them. You never judge the person who's dressed totally different, differently than you and clearly has a different worldview and political view from you. You don't judge them. Are we really that confident in our own righteousness that we could stand before the God who tells us, be holy as I am holy? No, God doesn't say be holy as I am holy because he's like a stick in the mud. 
He does that because he's loving. Because for anything unholy to enter God's eternal presence, where there will be no pain and sin and suffering, would be to let in pain and sin and suffering. And while that is good news that the new heavens and new earth will have no pain and sin and suffering, it is bad news for people like me. Because if I were to be let in in the current state that I'm in, I would bring all of that with me. But you see, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, the reason that he went to the cross is he paid the debt that I owe for my sin and for my sin and my guilt. He paid the debt by suffering the death that I deserve. He paid, he paid the debt that all of his people deserve so that anyone who would come to him in faith might find salvation. The second quote I want to look at is what Jesus says. It is finished. It is finished. This word, it is finished, that he used in Greek, it also means paid in full. It's what would be written on a receipt if you were to go and buy something in the first century. Paid in full. Jesus' last words, it is finished. Have you ever thought about what this might mean? It means that you can be confident, not in your niceness or the fact that you're kind of not that judgmental or that you're a pretty good person. You can be confident in the righteous, perfect life of Jesus given to you as credit and him taking the credit of our unrighteous, sinful life and taking that credit to the cross and dying with it. You're, if you're in Christ, your sin died with Jesus. And he says it's finished. The payment is finished. God's work for you is so sufficient that it is finished. There's no extra work to do. Jesus' dying words, it is finished. You can be confident in this. I, I think it's fascinating to compare Jesus' dying words with Buddha's dying words. Buddha's dying words, strive without ceasing. It's not finished. Keep on working. Never stop striving. Never stop trying to be good enough. And Jesus says, instead it is finished. Man, give me, <laughs> compare those two. Give me Jesus every time. The only work that we are to do, Jesus says, John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. We are saved. We are made right before God. We can be confident before God only by our faith, because of our faith. We can be, here's what that means. Here's what it means to be saved by faith. Be saved by grace through faith. What it means is you look upon Jesus and his work on the cross and believe that that was enough for you. It was enough. You don't have to add to it. Jesus saying it is finished. Here's, here's what that means. If you're somebody who is self-critical, who um, you beat yourself up about all the things that are wrong about you, Jesus saying it is finished means 
that you don't beat yourself, you don't have to beat yourself up anymore because he's been beat up already for you. It's finished. You beating yourself up more isn't going to make you more right before God. It means that his, his pain and his suffering is enough. Don't be so proud that you think that you need to somehow add to the suffering and payment of Jesus. But also, Jesus saying it is finished, it speaks to those of us who are self-righteous. As if somehow we could add to Jesus' payment to make it better with our own righteous acts. It, it's, it's, I mean, this is kind of a ridiculous illustration, but like my, my roommate in college is a portrait artist. He makes amazing art. He, he used to like practice drawing me when we were roommates. He'd be like, I, I have to do an assignment, like draw me. I'd be like, draw me. <laughs> He'd like, you know, do some picture. And I want you to imagine like, actually one of his first um, like big paintings he did was of me for my mom. So imagine he takes this like picture. My, my brother and sister call it Scary John. It sits in our living room. It's like this huge painting of Scary John. But so imagine like when he brought Scary John to my mom and showed it to us. And I look, if I looked at it and was like, wow, this looks great, which it does. It's, it's scarily like accurate of what I look like. Um, if he brought that to us and I looked at it and said, man, this is great, but let me do this one thing. I'm going to add, I've always wanted to grow a mustache and I don't have the ability to, so I'm just going to add. If I just like got out a marker and started to add a marker, what would he say? The person who did all this work to make it look just the way it needs to look, what would he say? Don't do that. It's finished. It's finished. You adding to it is going to deface it. And the same is true for us. Us adding to Jesus' righteous life that he has already given us credit for by somehow thinking that, oh, because I'm praying a lot or because I'm going to my Bible studies a lot or because I've been checking out RUF watch pods, that's actually what makes me right before God's sight. Like we, we do this all the time. Like if someone asks you, what's your relationship with God? Like, how do you answer it? We begin oftentimes answering it by saying all the things that we do or don't do. Well, like I've kind of been falling asleep during prayer time. I need to get better at that. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been trying to read through the Bible. I'm trying to get better about that. And, you know, we, like, we start listing all these things that we have done or we haven't done. Y'all, that is not, that is not what makes you right before God. What makes you right before God is the finished work of Jesus. That's good news. Where's your confidence? Please don't put your confidence in being a good person. Please don't put your confidence in a date that you some, like, like six years ago at a camp, you walked down an aisle and you kind of remember that like emotional experience and that date on the calendar is like what you look at and say six years ago, I did that thing that was kind of this like, I, I prayed a prayer and now I'm like that prayer was my confidence. Your confidence isn't in what you did. It's not in a date. It's not in your activity. Your confidence can be in a person. Your confidence is Jesus. Put your confidence in him that when you stand before the Lord of glory, which you and I will do, we will stand before the Lord of glory. Put your confidence in Jesus that he can stand for us. Um, 
I'll close with this. I, I, I was watching a football game, and this player had just won this big game. He's all excited. He's running off the field, and an announcer sticks a microphone in his face. And he, he says, if you live right, if you live right, no blessing will God withhold from you. If you live right, no blessing will God withhold from you. We just won this game. But here's the thing. The gospel is saying only one person ever lived right. And he died a brutal, unjust death so that no blessing God will withhold from you. Your hope isn't in you living right. It's in Jesus. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? Is he where your confidence is? If it is, what this means is that you'll, you'll act in faith and follow him. Jesus says this. I'll close with these words. Mark 8, 34, and calling to the crowd, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He is the only one who has the words of life. So follow him with your life. Put your confidence in him and in nothing else. Let me pray. Father, We pray that you would draw our hearts to you. Forgive us for the ways that we put our confidence in all sorts of other things besides you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are a God of grace. We pray, I pray that you would forgive me for the ways that I abuse your grace and presume upon it. Father, I pray that you would make us people who die to ourselves just as you did for us and that you would help us to die to ourselves for the good of our neighbors so that we may love them like you have and so that we might bring you glory because this life is so short and it's so fleeting and we ask father i ask anyone watching this who's praying along with us father that that they might put their confidence only in you and that your spirit would work in their hearts to do that And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.